Chapter Two of At the Foot of the Rainbow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson. At the Foot of the Rainbow by Jean Stratton Porter. Reuben O'Kayam and the Milk Pail. Jimmy Malone, carrying a shining tin milk pail, stepped into Casey's saloon and closed the door behind him. "'He much as wine has played the infidel and robbed me of my robe of honor. Well, I wonder what the vintners buy, one half so precious as the stuff they sell.' Jimmy stared at the back of a man, leaning against the bar and gazing lovingly at a glass of red wine as he recited in mellow swinging tones gripping the milk pail jimmy advanced a step the man stuck a thumb in the belt of his norfolk jacket and the verses flowed on the grape that can with logic absolute the two and seventy jarring sects confute the sovereign alchemist that in a trice life's leaden metal into gold transmute Jimmy's mouth fell open, and he slowly nodded endorsement of the sentiment. The man lifted his glass. "'I make the most of what ye yet may spend, before we two into the dust descend. Yesterday this day's madness did prepare, to-morrow's silence, triumph, or despair. Drink, for you know not whence you came, nor why. Drink, for you know not why you go, nor where.' Jimmy set the milk-pail on the bar and faced the man. "'If er God, that's the only sensible word I ever heard on my side of the question in all me life, and to think it should come from the mouth of a man wearing such a go-to-hail coat!' Jimmy shoved the milk-pail in front of the stranger. "'In the name of humanity, empty yourself of that,' he said. "'Fill me pail with the stuff, and let me take it home to marry. He's always got the beast of the argument, but I'm thinking that would corker. You won't? questioned Jimmy resentfully. Kipe it to yourself, then, like you did your wine. He shoved the bucket toward the barkeeper and emptied his pocket on the bar. Var, Casey, you be the sovereign alchemist and transmute that metal into melwood pretty quick, for I've not wet me whistle in three days, and the belly of me is filling with burning autumn leaves. Give me a loving cup, and come on, boys. This is on me while it lasts. The barkeeper swept the coin into the till, picked up the bucket, and started back toward a beer keg. Oh, no, ye don't, cried Jimmy. Come back here and count that leaden metal, and then ye transmutin' it into whiskey straight, the purest gold ye got. Ye don't drown out a three days' thirst with beer. Ye ought to give me most two quarts for that. The barkeeper was wise. He knew that what Jimmy started would go on with the men who could pay, and he filled the order generously. Jimmy picked up the pail. He dipped a small glass in the liquor, and held near an ounce aloft. "'I wonder what the vintners buy, one half so precious as the stuff they sell,' he quoted. "'Down goes!' And he emptied the glass at a draught. Then he walked to the group at the stove and began dipping a drink for each. When Jimmy came to a gray-haired man with a high forehead and an intellectual face, he whispered, "'Take your full time, Cap. Who's the rhyming incubator?' "'Threadman, Boston. 
mouthed the captain as he reached for the glass with trembling fingers. Jimmy held on. "'You know that stuff he's given off?' The captain nodded and rose to his feet. He always declared he could feel it farther if he drank standing. "'What's his name?' whispered Jimmy, releasing the glass. "'Rubaiyat, Omar Khayyam,' panted the captain, and was lost. Jimmy finished the round of his friends, and then approaching the bar. His voice was softening. "'Mr. Reuben O'Khayyam,' he said, "'it's me private opinion that ye need lace-trim pantalets and a sash to complete your costume. But barren clothes, I'm entangled in the thread of your discourse. Being a Boston man meself, it appeals to me that I detect the refinement of the East in your voice. Now these, me friends, that I've just been threatened, are men of these parts, but we're the Middle East, so don't set up to equal the culture of the extreme East. So, Mr. O'Khayam, solely for the benefit you might be to us, I'm asking you to join me and me friends in the momentous initiation of my new milk pail. Jimmy lifted a brimming glass and offered it to the thread man. Do you transmute? he asked. Now, if the Boston man had looked Jimmy in the eye and said, I do, this book would not have been written. But he did not. He looked at the milk pail and the glass, which had passed through the hands of a dozen men in a little country saloon way out in the wilds of Indiana, and said, I do not care to partake of further refreshment. If I can be of intellectual benefit, I might remain for a time. For a flash, Jimmy lifted the five feet ten of his height to six, but in another he shrank below normal. What appeared to the thread man to be a humble, deferential seeker after wisdom led him to one of the chairs around the big coal-base burner, but the boys who knew Jimmy were watching the whites of his eyes as they drank the second round. At this stage Jimmy was on velvet. How long he remained there depended on the depth of Melwood in the milk pail between his knees. He smiled winningly on the thread man. "'Ye know, Mr. O'Khayam,' he said, "'at the present time you are located in one of the woolliest parts of the wild east. I don't suppose anything woollier could be found in the plains of Nebraska, where I'm reliably informed that they stuck up a pole and labeled it the center of the United States. Being a thousand miles closer that pole than you are in Boston,' Naturally, we come by that distance closer to the great wool industry. Most of our wool here grows on our tongues, and we shear it by this transmutant process, concerning which you have discoursed so beautiful. But barring the shearing of our wool, we are the mildest, most sheepish folks you could imagine. I don't reckon now there is a man among us who could be induced to blat or to butt, under the most trying circumstances. My Mary's got a little lamb, and all the rest of the boys are lambs, but all the limbs are waned and clustering round the milk pail. Ain't that touching? Come on now, Reuben, I'll up and edify us some more. On what point do you seek enlightenment? inquired the thread man. Jimmy stretched his long legs and spat against the stove in pure delight. "'Oh, you might loosen up on the work of a man,' he suggested. "'These lambs of Casey's fold may learn things from you to help them in the stress of life. Now, here's Jones, for instance. 
he's holding together a gang of sixty gibbering Italians. Any one of them would cut his throat in skipping the night for a dollar, but he keeps the beast in them under, and they're getting out gravel for the bed of a railway. Bingham, there is oil, he's punching the earth full of one thousand foot holes, and sending off two hundred quarts of nitroglycerin at the bottom of them, and pumping the accumulation across continents to furnish folks with light and hate. York here is running a field railway between Bluffton and Selina, so that I can get to the river and the reservoir to fish without walking. Haynes is bossing a crew of forty Canadians, and he's taken the timber from the woods hereabouts and sending it to be made into boats to carry stuff across sea. Meself and me partner, Danny McNoon, are the lady-likest lambs in the bunch. We grow grub to feed folks in summer and trap the skins to cover em in winter. Corn is our great commodity, ploughing and hoeing in the summer, and husking it in the fall is sich lamb-like work, but don't mention it in the same breath with tending our four dozen fur traps on the twenty below zero day, freezing hands and fight, and falling into air bubbles and building fires to thaw out frozen grub. Now here among us, poor little transmutant lambs should come a raging lion representing the culture and refinement of the Far East. By the pleats on your breast, you show us the style. By the thread case in your hand, you furnish us with materials our women can tuck their petticoats a fancy, and by the book in your hand, you teach us your superiority. By the same token, I wish I had that book in me head, for I could just squelch Danny and Mary with it complete. Say, Mr. O'Kayam, next time you come this way, bring me a copy. I'm wanting it bad. I got what you gave off all secure, but I take it there's more. "'The man going at that clip could shut off with them few lines. Do you know the rest?' The thread man knew the most of it, and although he was very uncomfortable, he did not know just how to get away, so he recited it. The milk-pail was empty now, and Jimmy had almost forgotten that it was a milk-pail, and seemed inclined to resent the fact that it had gone empty. He beat time on the bottom of it, and frequently interrupted the thread man to repeat a couplet which particularly suited him. By and by he got to his feet and began stepping off a slow dance to a sing-song repetition of lines that sounded musical to him, all the time marking the measures vigorously on the pail. When he tired of a couplet he pounded the pail over the bar, stove, or chairs in encore until the thread man could think up another to which he could dance. Wine, 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 red wine, the nightingale cried to the rose, chanted Jimmy, thumping the pail in time, and stepping off the measures with feet that scarcely seemed to touch the floor. He flung his hat to the barkeeper and his coat on a chair, ruffled his fingers through his thick auburn hair, and holding the pail under one arm, he paused, panting for breath and begging for more. The thread man sat on the edge of his chair, and the eyes he fastened on Jimmy were beginning to fill with interest. "'Come fill the cup, and in the fire of spring your winter garment of repentance fling. The bird of time has but a little way to flutter, and the bird is on the wing.' Smash came the milk-pail across the bar. "'Hooray!' shouted Jimmy. "'Bless ye!' Bang, bang! He was off. "'Eardish on the wing!' he chanted, and his feet flew. "'Come fill the cup, 
but in the fearisher spring fearisher spring birdish on the wing between the music of the milk pail the brogue of the panted verses and the grace of jimmy's flying feet the thread man was almost prostrate it suddenly came to him that there might be a chance to have a great time more gasped jimmy me some more the thread man wiped his eyes whether the cup with sweet or bitter run the wine of life keeps oozing drop by drop the leaves of life keep falling one by one away went jimmy sweet or bitter run lives of life keep falling one by one bang bang sounded a new improvision on the sadly battered pail and to a new step jimmy flashed back and forth the length of the saloon at last he paused to rest a second one more yes one more he begged a book of verses underneath the bough a jug of wine a loaf of bread and thou beside me singing in the wilderness o wilderness were paradise enough jimmy's head dropped an instant his feet slowly shuffled in improvising a new step and then he moved away thumping the milk pail and chanting a couple of fish poles underneath a tree a bottle of rye and danny besides me a fishing in the wabash where the wabash paradise hurry gee tired out he dropped across a chair facing the back and folded his arms he regained breath to ask the thread man did ye ever have a friend he had reached the confidential stage the boston man was struggling to regain his dignity he retained the impression that at the wildest of the dance he had yelled and patted time for jimmy i hope i have a host of friends he said settling his pleated coat damn hushed said jimmy just in way now i got one friend hushed all by meself be here pretty soon now always comes night like this comes here inquired the thread man am i to meet another interesting character yes comes here comes after me comes like the clock stricken twelve don't he boys inquired jimmy but he ain't no interesting character just common man danny is honest man never told a lie in his life yes she did too i forgot he lies for me just lies and lies lies to marry tells her any old lies to keep me out of scrape you ever have friend hish up and drive ten miles for you night like this and lies to get you out of shrape i never needed any one to lie and get me out of a scrape answered the thread man jimmy sat straight and solemnly batted his eyes gee you must miss most your fun he said me i ever missed any always in shrape but danny gets me out good old danny just like dog take care of me all me life see old folks come on the same boat women get thick shuttle besides build cabins together works together and damn it they don't get smallpox and die together lift me and danny so we work together just same and we falls in love with the same girl danny too slow i got her jimmy wiped away great tears how did you get her jimmy asked a man who remembered a story how the nation did i get her jimmy scratched his head and appealed to the thread man danny best man malish best man never lie except for me never drink except for me 
always save his money except for me milish best man isn't he best man spooley ain't it true that you served danny a mean little trick asked the man who remembered jimmy wasn't quite drunk enough and the violent exercise of the dance somewhat sobered him he glared at the man what's you talking about he demanded i'm just asking you said the man why if you played straight with danny about the girl you never have had the face to go to confession since you married her always shin my wife said jimmy grandly don't shinny woman that can't confess enough for two then he hitched his chair closer to the thread man and grew more confidential she here he said first i see your pleated coat didn't like but head's all right great head stuck on frills there want to be let in on something got enough city clubs and all that want to taste real thing let's go coon hunting this tree down can oper just short pleasant walk got fifty coons in it nobody knows that tree but me she been good us boys sat on the same chairs we do educate us up a lot you know most that poetry till i die she water wash vintners by half precious ash stuff shells she i got it let ye in on the real thing take grand big coon skinch back to boston with ye ringston tail make wife fine muff er fur trimish good till boys at club about she are you asking me to go on a coon hunt with you demanded the thread man when where Cautiously invited answered jimmy tomorrow night can oper show you plash bill duke's dogs my gunch moon shining dogs howling snow flying fifty coons rolling out one hole shoot all dead take your pick tan skin for yourself roaring big fire swarm by bag finish sandwiches ever tasted milk pail pure gold drink no stop slop going out over bridge take a jug big jug toss her up and let her gurgle dogs bark fire pop guns bang fifty coons drop boys all go want to get more education takes culture to get woolsh off shay will you go i wouldn't miss it for a thousand dollars said the thread man but what will i say to my house for being a day late she got her grip suggested jimmy never too late to get her grip y'all go boys there were not three men in the saloon who knew of a tree that had contained a coon that winter but jimmy was jimmy and to be trusted for an expedition of that sort and all of them agreed to be at the saloon ready for the hunt at nine o'clock the next night the thread man felt that he was going to see life he immediately invited the boys to the bar to drink to the success of the hunt you shoot your own coon yourself offered the magnanimous jimmy you may carish my gunch take first shot first shot to mr okam boys remember that shake and you hit anything take a try now jimmy reached behind him and shoved a big revolver into the hand of the thread man worse target he demanded as he turned from the bar the milk pail which he still carried under his arm caught an iron rod jimmy gave it a jerk and ripped the rim from the bottom ish do he said splendid mark shinish just like coon's eyes in torchlight he carried the pail on the back wall and hung it over a nail 
The nail was straight and the pail flaring. The pail fell. Jimmy kicked it across the room and then gathered it up and drove a dent in it with his heel that would hold over the nail. Then he went back to the thread man. There, Schmark, Reuben, blash away, he said. The Boston man hesitated. What's your matter? Can't shoot off nothing but your mouth? demanded Jimmy. He caught the revolver and fired three shots so rapidly that the sounds almost came as one. Two bullets pierced the bottom of the pail, and the other the side of it as it fell. The door opened, and with a rush of cold air Jimmy gave just one glance toward it, and slid the revolver into his pocket, reached for his hat, and started in the direction of his coat. "'Glad to see you, Mignon,' he said. "'If you're going home, I'll just ride out with you. Good night, boys. Don't forget the coon hunt.' And Jimmy was gone. A minute later the door opened again, and this time a man of nearly forty stepped inside. He had a manly form and a manly face, and was above average in looks, and spoke with a slight Scotch accent. "'Do any of you boys happen to know what it was Jimmy had with him when he came in here?' A roar of laughter greeted the query. The thread man picked up the pail. As he handed it to Danny, he said, "'Mr. Malone said he was initiating a new milk pail, but I'm afraid he has overdone the job.' "'Thank you,' said Danny, and, taking the battered thing, he went out into the night. Jimmy was asleep when he reached the buggy. Danny had long found it convenient to have no fence about his dooryard. He drove to the door, dragged Jimmy from the buggy, and stabled the horse. By hard work he removed Jimmy's coat and boots, laid him across the bed, and covered him. Then he grimly looked at the light in the next cabin. "'Why doesn't I should go to bed?' he said. He summoned courage, and crossing the space between the two buildings, he tapped on the window. "'It's me, Mary,' he called. The skins are only half done, and Jimmy is going to help me finish. He will come over in the morning. You go to bed. You need not be afraid. We will hear you if you even snore. There was no answer, but by a movement in the cabin, Danny knew that Mary was still dressed and waiting. He started back, but for an instant, heedless of the scurrying snow and biting cold, he faced the sky. I wonder if ye had not found the glib tongue and light feet the least part of matrimony, he said. Why, in God's name, couldn't you have married me? I'd like to know why. As he closed the door, the cold air roused Jimmy. Danny, he said, don't you forget the milk pail. I'll initiate good now. End of chapter 2 Recording by Kevin Davidson www.blogordie.com